There are three scripture readings this week. The first is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The second is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love your neighbor, God, with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your might. The third is Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well done. I'm not sure your mic is on. Let's check. Set time. How does it sound? Is that better? Awesome. Well, happy Valentine's Day. It was so good to see Jimmy reading the scripture outdoors. It made me think maybe it was warmer then. Now it's freezing. (laughs) Over the past three Sundays, we have been discussing what it means to be beginners in our faith. And of the past three weeks, I have spent two of those weeks discussing our relationship with God. What does it look like when our doubts struggle? When we feel like failures in our faith, how do we maintain a relationship with God? On this Valentine's Day, I thought a good look at love might be in order. Our relationship with our Creator is only one of those most defining and important relationships in our lives. But our faith practice actually outlines three crucial relationships that we are meant to cultivate in order to live our faith. Loving God is only the first. Would you pray with me? Creator God, I offer you this message, the words that I speak and the meditations and intentions of my heart. May it be in your service even if it is not perfect. Amen. Of these three relationships from our scripture, we are so familiar with the second, to love our neighbor. From Jesus's own life and ministry, we know that anyone in your sphere of influence, anyone you have the opportunity to connect with, anyone counts as a neighbor, even people you don't like. Actually, Specifically, people you don't like, because Jesus reminds us to love our enemies. (laughs) Loving others has been so drilled into us as Christians, it seems almost silly to bring it up. (laughs) But here's the thing. Even though we know it and we deal with it every day, we struggle. We try. Sometimes we fail. But for so many of us, love is the kind of thing that we kind of think about in the abstract. When we actually have the opportunity to live our lives, I think a lot of us automatically default to being nice, 
and staying in our own lanes, which is good. But how do we actually love our neighbor? And this is clearly a bit of a question for the ages. I don't think we have great and solid answers on this because it's a question that people have been trying to address for millennia now. I mean, there's a reason that the golden rule, loving others as you love yourself, is at the root of so many faith traditions, from Christianity to Buddhism to Islam. It's everywhere because it's not easy. Alain de Botton, a philosopher on love, summed it up pretty fantastically in my mind. He said, love is painful, poignant, and touching. It is an attempt by two flawed individuals to try and meet each other's needs in situations of gross uncertainty and ignorance about who they are and who the other person is. But we're going to do our best. I love that line. (laughs) Trying to meet each other's needs in situations of gross uncertainty and ignorance. I remember the first time I found myself looking at this quote and considering my relationships through this lens of gross uncertainty and ignorance it gave me a bit of a laugh to be honest you have to laugh at yourself but it was important because as much as we would love to have our partners and loved ones miraculously intuit our every need that is impossible multiply that by the diffi- by a lot of difficulty when you consider that it's not just people in your family that you are called to love, but every single person you ever meet. Ignorance feels like a bit of an understatement there. (laughs) From the very beginning of my relationship with my husband, I can tell you that I was ignorant. And today I want to tell you the story of how Jordan and I met But I will give you one brief disclaimer. Before I preach about anybody in my family on a personal level, I will clear it with them. I will let them read the sermon and make adjustments. I wonder if you'll be able to hear the adjustment that my husband has made to my sermon. I had no idea what I was getting into when I met an amazingly cute guy at a birthday party for one of my choir friends. Can you guess what it was? We actually met on February 15th, 2013. We celebrated as an anniversary in our house. So by the end of this party that we met at, we'd realized that we spent the entire night talking to each other. We barely talked to anybody else. He told me about his life, his childhood growing up as a pastor's kid, his marriage, his divorce, his three-year-old daughter. He even showed me really cute pictures on his terrible slider phone, and this was 2013, so he had no excuse for that terrible of a phone. (laughs) He still says it's a good phone, but he showed me cute pictures of Addie, and I told him about growing up in church, my faith, my failures, about college and my goal to go to graduate school to become a hospital chaplain. Good to see where that got us. But I told him everything I could think of about my life, and we haven't gone a day without talking since. And it sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? It's a happily ever after, Valentine's Day kind of love. And we can keep telling the story as if it's 
just Valentine's Day. What's the sweet version? We fell in love. I moved closer to him because I wanted to take a year between undergrad and grad school, and I didn't feel like moving back in with my parents. So I rented an old trailer home on a lake in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and Jordan and Addie and his family lived one town over. He proposed on a trip to Denver six months after I moved. He proposed right in front of the sea turtles at the Denver Aquarium. It was really sweet, and thankfully nobody saw us. That was a miracle. And I proposed to Addie the next day. I asked her if I could be her stepmom. Both of us said yes. We were married four months later. (laughs) I was 22, Jordan was 24, and Addie was five. When I tell the story like that, it sounds kind of cute, like a whirlwind romance. Or very terrifying if you're the parents of young adults. 22 is very young to get married, but it worked out for me. (laughs) It didn't really go like that, though. The story sounds really sweet, but Jordan and I are both human beings. What gets glossed over in the cute version is that for the first six months of our relationship, we were long distance. And in those six months, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree, writing a thesis, and working multiple jobs. Jordan was working long hours in a slaughterhouse and being a single parent to a four-year-old. Neither of us were in a position to prioritize anybody else, to love anyone else well. And I can safely say that at the beginning of our relationship, I think we kind of failed a little bit, sometimes. (laughs) Jordan gives me the point. No, we didn't fail completely, but sometimes. We failed a little bit. In that time, there was a lot of miscommunication, a lot of frustration, a lot of long nights trying to solve problems that may or may not have actually existed. It's still up for debate. Turns out learning to communicate with another person is hard. Doing it over 170 miles is even harder. We made it. We're better for it, I think. But those six months of trying to find a way through the madness of life were necessary. They laid a strong foundation for us to be together eight years later. I can tell you what I've discovered, although, to be honest, I think I learned it more from failure than success because these are still lessons that we are learning and I don't know that we'll ever really stop learning them. So, what actually did the work of keeping two people together who by all accounts probably shouldn't have been together? I think, I think it was that gross uncertainty and ignorance. Being far apart, living busy lives, forced us to ask questions early. Do we really want to be in this relationship? Is it worth it? (laughs) And then once that decision was made, how do we love each other? How do I love him? How does he love me? How do we actually get down to the business of loving one another? In this context, it's a romantic question But it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time in all of our walks of life. How do we actually get down to the business of loving people? Not just our partnerships, but in our families, in our friendships, when we come across someone in the grocery store. How do we love? 
well, from a beginner Christian, we show an interest. We ask questions. Even better if you don't know the answers. Allow yourself to be surprised, even taken back by what you hear. Ask questions so that the relational chasm in between us is a little narrower. The fact about Mr. Botton's ideas on gross uncertainty and ignorance is that while we can't necessarily change the uncertainty we face, we can address our ignorance. We can ask questions. We can grow. We can explore together. In personal relationships, this looks like asking your partner, your child, your friend, the questions that can help you love them better. How are you today? What do you need today? How can I help you today? Taking the time to ask, and more importantly, perhaps, taking the time to answer thoughtfully is an expression of love. Curiosity at its core is driven by love. It sounds small, these questions, but in my experience, it's the little things that transform our relationships, our relationships big and small with all of our neighbors, be they spouse, sibling, or stranger. As I mentioned in my first sermon, I think we are also called to pay specific attention to specific people. Those poor, captive, blind, and oppressed that Jesus mentioned at the start of his ministry. If you're smart, and I presume that you are, you know that this is a daunting task. Caring for people in any circumstance is taxing. In his short time on earth, Jesus made it clear that when the world turns its back on people, we are to extend our hands and hearts. And the people of Christ call us to focus on the most. Oh, sorry. And the people of Christ are called to focus the most on the ones who have suffered injustice, specifically injustice that is larger than them. How do we approach injustice as a beginner with open minds and open hearts? When we ask, why are there homeless, we can begin to heal. If we just ask them, how can I help you, we'll get good answers. But when we ask, why are you homeless? Why are you in pain? Why are you suffering? We can begin to heal. When it comes to loving our neighbors and loving them well, The questions that we ask will guide our actions, and the better the questions, the more thoughtful the love. Now, the tricky part in all of this is understanding that the questions we ask are deep reflections of how we see ourselves. The fears that we harbor in our hearts show up in our questions, and so do our insecurities and our regrets It stops us sometimes from asking the deeper questions, the why questions that get to the heart of the matter. And sometimes those fears and insecurities can keep us asking the surface questions. How can we help instead of why do you need help? 
We're all too aware of our own failings when it comes to how we relate to others. Now, in those six months where Jordan and I were living apart, Jordan and I both realized that we were not avid texters or good phone callers or even like stellar letter writers. Our communication skills, in short, were in need of work. And I mean, look at us. A divorced single dad and a stressed out college student working multiple jobs try to communicate across that chasm. Minor miscommunications quickly snowballed into debates of core truths. Every small thing seemed gigantic, the magnifying lens being 170 miles wide. To say it was a situation of gross uncertainty would be accurate. To say that we were both kind of ignorant, also accurate. But poignant and powerful, too. We learned what hurt someone else, sometimes by just being clumsy and young, but we also learned how to take care of each other. We learned where the bruises were, where the pain was, and we learned how to walk beside one another in the hurt. What we discovered in being beginners in that relationship and asking a lot of questions is that what hurt the other person was, almost always, a hurt that lived inside of us lashing out to be seen. Our personal pain caused more issues in our relationship than any relationship issue between us. And it made me realize that maybe that's the best way that we can show love to others. By acknowledging that the person in my care, me, needs the same compassion that I am so often willing to offer others. And that's the final relationship in that trinity of love. God, neighbor, and finally, self. Now, let me be clear, since, you know, the self-care and self-love industry is a whole, full-fledged industry onto itself. It's a money-making agenda. Self-love, from the Christian perspective, does not require bubble baths or yoga classes. If you want to participate, go ahead. But they are not required. In fact, you don't have to spend any money at all to practice self-love in our faith. Because self-love, from the Christian perspective, is not the delusion that we are all good and wonderful. It's that we know that we're flawed. We know that we need help. We see it in our relationships, in our lives, when our hurts and insecurities come out and hurt someone else. We know that we're not perfect because hurt spreads quickly. But so can love. Loving yourself is embodying that God love, that unconditional love that knows no bounds, that sees the imperfections in you and loves you anyways, loves you through them. We are formed in the very image of love created by a God who creates us as beautiful and cared for beings. We learn how to love ourselves through the love that we experience from our creator. Because we love ourselves and because God loves us, when that love is present, we can't let ourselves stay put and stay flawed. 
We do not let ourselves stagnate or remain stuck in the ways that hurt ourselves in the world. We are compelled to keep going, keep searching, keep working, keep asking, be curious, and work towards that holy relationship. That's the point, the whole point. These relationships between God, others, and ourselves define our entire lives. We are alive in our relationships. As much as our culture and our way of life might try and tell us that we are individuals, singular entities moving through the world, our God has created a world of connections, one that we can see all the more clearly because of our pandemic where we see how people can spread a disease just by being in the same place. I wonder how easy or difficult it would be to spread love at such a rate. No one is truly a singular entity, no matter how hard we might try. We are always in relationship, whether we like it or not. And sometimes we won't like it at all. In the course of our asking questions and being curious, we will hear something we don't like. Maybe it offends our sensibilities. Or maybe it hits a nerve or a sensitive topic. Maybe you find out that you are a part of the problem that you are trying to help solve. That's the thing about listening. Sometimes you won't like what you hear. I pray that when that happens, and it will, that you stay courageous in the face of our fears. Asking questions can be a dangerous business, moving us away from whatever certainty we know into the realm of the grossly uncertain. It makes us beginners again, all of us. We are compelled to ask the questions that guide us past where we are, to seek out the platinum rule of loving others as they want to be loved instead of just loving others as we want to be loved. Our curiosity can change our world by changing our very perspective on life. If we are truly acting like beginners in our faith, we must go deeper, look harder, love better than we loved before. And this is the hard part. We can throw love and good deeds and think that it's enough. But it's the connection, the sustained care that matters. In Christ's great messages to the world, we see time and time again that our relationships with God and one another and ourselves are at the center of the kingdom. Commandments, covenants, prayers, beatitudes all point to the fact that what binds us together is love. Love in action. Love repeated in small ways every day. Love in tension with one another. The care that we show and the way that we walk together matters. It won't be perfect but I promise it will be worth it. My prayer for you this day is that you keep asking. Keep searching for the ways that love can transform you and your vision of the world. May you be guided 
by your curiosity and your love. Amen.